I'm very excited to share this recording with you guys, which happened at our conference, sasopen.com, with over 100 speakers, all founders of B2B SaaS companies. We have a very high bar for what speakers share on stage, so you're going to enjoy this episode where we dive deep into revenue graphs, real tactics, and real growth metrics. You are listening to Conversations with Nathan Latka, where I sit down and interview the top SaaS founders, like Eric Wan from Zoom. If you'd like to subscribe, go to gitlatka.com. We've published thousands of these interviews, and if you want to sort through them quickly by revenue or churn, CAC, valuation, or other metrics, the easiest way to do that is to go to gitlatka.com and use our filtering tool. It's like a big Excel sheet for all of these podcast interviews. Check it out right now at gitlatka.com. Hi, everyone. Um, I'm Casey Golden. I'm the founder of LuxLock. We're a unified experience platform for luxury brands. So today I am going to learn how to use this. Um, I'm going to talk about how we 10x our business from pilots to be an enterprise ready. Um, we had to essentially have this, this insane amount of business in retail that is all professional services, they don't do SaaS fees. So we had to really find like this blended model to be able to sell to our vertical, but keep the pricing consistent. So I'm going to talk a little bit about what we did with our founder program, um, how we started removing discounts from our pilot accounts and going into selling full price enterprise. So with our, with our model, um, we're vertical SaaS. And so it wasn't about the size of account. It was about the type of account. And we needed to find a model that was essentially going to work across. And using this, you might see like we're a revenue share plus a SaaS. And in order to be able to do essentially this, we had to come into our founder program because nobody likes to be first. <laughs> so we positioned at the top. Um, we're probably the most expensive soft SaaS software fee for like chat. <laughs> um, and we needed that model to fit for a $5 million business to a $5 billion business because most of our customers are at $5 billion, and we didn't know how to start enterprise with nobody wanting to be first. So just to give you kind of an idea of where we, where we landed, we knew that if we charged by account for our SaaS fees, um, we'd leave a billion dollars on the table because there's not as many accounts as there are locations. And if we charge for user licenses, we'd bottleneck our adoption. Um, but everyone is used to user licenses. So we built it into our model um, to leverage free user licenses as a negotiation point instead of touching our SaaS fee. Um, so far, it's worked really well. Um, and we take 5% of our lift uh, rather than any type of professional services. Uh, da -da -da -da. So we've essentially gone from zero, from pre-product, 
to $85,000 in beta to $871,000. And our, we're on track for our first year out of beta to hit $5 million AR, just in the SaaS fees. So when I go into um, the agreement, essentially if we priced if we priced too low, we would never be able to raise our, increase our prices with our customers. Um, if we were inconsistent, we would lose all of our relation, like our customers' relationship and our integrity with them. Because unlike a lot of businesses or SaaS companies, um, all of our customers are friends. And most of them are workaholics that talk about business about 80% of the time. And they know how much everybody pays for everything. And so we went with a startup program that allowed founders to bring their own price. Um, we went out and sought some of the best emerging luxury brands um, that we just had killer founders, great products. We knew that they'd be successful. We knew that they'd get venture backed. And at some point, they'd be able to pay us <laughs> the sooner than later. Um, and then we just broke it down for them in four steps. Say, like, we believe in you. We're going to go ahead and invest our time and be able to help you increase your revenue faster. And we broke it into four steps for them. And they agreed on a 5x return, which I think is better than Facebook right now. So um, it was very easy for us to go ahead and get them to commit to paying full price. Um, we weren't getting commitment from them for a discount. We focused on you're paying $4,000 a month for your SaaS fee. I'm invoicing you $4,000 a month. You're going to get used to seeing this size of bill because most, most brands, the SaaS fees are like $25. <laughs> and it was very eye-opening for them to say, like, oh my gosh, you're, I'm getting a $4,000 bill from you. Um, so we needed to make it normal. Um, but we started helping them increase their revenue. So instead of a 5x return, most of our customers have been getting a 30x return. So now they don't mind paying $4,000 a month because um, they're making a lot more money than uh, we're charging them. When it really came down to building out our monetization strategy, we compete a lot with enterprise retail tech companies. These are... Uh, we play with Microsoft Retails, the SAPs of the world. Um, most of it is professional services. Um, they're like one-time software fees and then a lifetime of consultants. So we wanted to make sure that we were blending the best of SaaS with what we could, what we knew the appetite was for our industry. So we really tiered this to be a little bit more of a psychological um, sales cycle to make sure at the end of the day we got what we wanted and everybody was paying the same price. Um, we tiered up an additional SaaS fee for $6,000 a month, which we have four customers using right now, um, that was literally just an additional feature set. And most of our customers start at the $4,000 a month, which is great. That's exactly what we wanted. Um, and all of the user licenses, essentially, we comp. Um, and it gives us a really good idea how many users that they're looking to roll out with so we can start projecting how much revenue and productivity that's coming out from the users. Um, but it's one of the biggest problems in our space is that everybody, every company's bought software. Nobody uses it. 
And so we really didn't want to, we wanted to make sure that there was some type of value for user licenses, but at the same time to make sure we don't bottleneck. And then we have um, some extra little perks in there, but the revenue share has been probably the most unique um, additive for us is because at the end of the month, of our first month, we can actually say we made you $200,000 this month or we made you $6,000 this month. If you turn our software off, it's gone. Um, and I think that this is one of the things that I find difficult as a SaaS founder is that we pay a lot of, pay a lot of SaaS fees. I think we probably pay more SaaS fees than our customers pay in SaaS fees. Um, and it's really interesting to see how many, I mean, I think, I think we all went through and have gone through and said, like, what can we afford not to have? Um, rather than being able to say, like, this directly impacts my productivity or my revenue or opportunity for revenue. Um, I don't really see a lot of SaaS fees essentially connected to how the brands make money. Um, and I think that that was something that was really important to us is that if our customer makes more money and grows, our revenue also grows. And so it's always aligned. If we see an opportunity to build a new feature or increase conversion rate, we build it. Um, they don't need to ask us to necessarily build it because we're just gonna be able to get more of a share. And so it's really helped us to be able to make sure that we're focused on the things that our customer cares about. Um, like I said, like we're just billing them every month. I can't wait for this <laughs> whole invoicing system to go away. But um, these, our founders um, in this program, like they've gotten used to seeing value for things that are more expensive. I hope it helps the whole ecosystem in general. Um, but this is kind of just really where where we kind of focused on. Um, about it. Um, 10 minutes. Wow. That was fun. Um, so just to kind of recap of what we went through um, was really just making sure that we could build um, enterprise right out of the gate. We went from beta to enterprise. Um, so the first, no one wanted to be first. I think that that's something that, oh, hi. Yeah. So, you jumped a lot into like your pricing model off the bat, and I didn't really have a perspective on what you actually are. Like, can you explain <laughs> what your what your product did, like the value, what it is, like in like a quick elevator pitch? Yeah, you know that's like the million dollar question. Nobody knows what we do except for our customers. <laughs> so, um, we essentially were omnichannel. A unified experience platform. We help luxury, luxury brands use our software to manage their customer experience across all of their locations. However, we couldn't go to market with this huge platform that they needed to deploy in 3,700 locations. Um, so what we did is we went into market replacing live chat um, that is on all of the brands e-commerce stores um, that's connected to customer support Right now, that was a, that's a cost center. And personally, I didn't feel like Zendesk should be on the e-commerce store of Laura Piana. 
Um, and so what we did is we flipped that out, and now you can shop live with a stylist in chat. Um, they're able to manage customer relationships, so these sales associates that work in uh, luxury, they're actually all commission sales-based. So they're all commission salespeople, um, and they clientele the same customer over years. I'm going, I'm, a, I'm obviously shopping, I have a lot of money, I want a great experience. Your chat, you're, you're, you're the chat solution allows them to interact. Correct. Got it. So that goes into, um, I love that you brought up Cartier. So like, um, yes, you would, <laughs> yes, essentially you would be able to um, talk with an in-store sales associate. They're going to spoil you. Um, when you go into a Cartier store, you'd be able to sync and open up your profile. So right now, um, most brands you can't, their CRMs don't sync across um, stores, let alone countries, and they need to manage warranty services. And so your LTV is not going up when you shop in Milan, LA, or New York. Um, and Cartier actually has a very large franchise business. So if you're shopping in Dominican Republic, it's not actually owned by Cartier. So essentially, we pull all that together into a new CRM. But um, yeah, we didn't want that sales cycle to start with. <laughs> so we went with um, replacing the chat, get in there, create lift, be able to um, not have to change the pricing. So every single time they add a location, they're picking up another four grand but we've been able to get 30x returns, so um, it's fine. <laughs> yeah, um, I've, ooh, there we go. Um, I've struggled to get clients to agree to a revenue share in like lots of different programs that I've tried. Does that work every time? Because usually you like bring that up and then they're like, oh, okay, I'm, I'm good paying the fee, I don't want a rev share, but I've, I've never been successful in that. It's not easy. Um, for us, we, you have to be able to prove that you can measure it, right? And so that's the number one problem, especially with RevShare, is to be able to say that like my software generated and assisted that revenue. Um, and nobody likes to pay for returns, um, especially in retail. But in general, um, they want a net. So whatever the net sales are that you assisted, I don't want to pay on gross. Um, because we were able to build in all the way down to the net to track sales minus returns minus cancellations for a true net, um, it's 100% performance-based. Um, for us, it was very interesting. Like, it's an easy fit because all of their salespeople that stand in their stores all day are all commission only. So they're very, and that's net commission. So they're very used to paying performance-based. They're not used to paying for things just because. <laughs> if it doesn't make money, um, then they don't like necessarily to pay for it. So um, I would say I think that there's a lot of opportunity for some type of revenue share for LTV. If you're really able to support a company's LTV and increase that, there should be able to be some point of lift that they're going to lose their LTV numbers if your software goes away. And that LTV is attached to a dollar amount. And so I think that there could be something there for more company, like software companies to be able to be attached to some type of revenue. 
Um, I think we've all know that a new customer costs a heck of a lot more than a current customer. Um, so yeah, um, so our business model is completely different than anything in our space that we compete against. It's completely different than most SaaS models, but it works for us and it works for our clients. And um, right now we don't we don't do any more discounting um, as far as like on the line items. And I just say you know if you if you have a soapbox, just go ahead and stand on it. Thank you. Thanks, Kate.